From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. And in this episode, we're going to hear about what God is doing in South Asia. And in particular, we're going to hear what God is doing in one of the largest cities in the world. Our guests today are Jesse and Shaney. Jesse and Shaney and their three kids live in a large city in South Asia. Jesse and Shaney have lived and served in South Asia for 15 years. And they've lived in a rural context, and now they're serving in a urban context. On a more personal level, Jesse and Shani are dear friends to me and to my family. My wife, my kids, we all love them. We pray for them. And the Akins are always encouraged every chance we have the opportunity to spend time with Jesse and Shani. By God's grace, over the last eight years or so, Jesse has become one of my closest friends anywhere in the world. And I'm so excited for you to hear from Jesse and Shani today. Jesse and Shaney, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, man. It's good to be on here with you. Shaney, maybe why don't you start and just begin by telling us a little bit about you and your family. Jesse and I are both from small towns in the Midwest, grew up on farms, and we met in college. We've been married 16 years, and we have three kids. Two are in elementary school. One is in middle school, and we have been serving in South Asia since 2005, and all of that time doing church planting work and in a few different cities, different contexts, but always doing the same type of church planting work. Okay, so you talked about growing up kind of in the country, maybe in a rural context here in the U.S., and now you live in a large urban city in South Asia. So maybe tell our listeners, you or Jesse, a little bit about how you guys ended up living in Asia. Okay, yeah, it is quite ironic because we both grew up with more cows around us than people, and now we're in this huge urban very densely populated city. So both of us, um, we met in college and Jesse and I both had very different plans for our lives. If you would have asked me if I would be a missionary, if you had met me my freshman year of college, I really would have laughed in your face. But God totally changed our plans and our dreams for our futures. And that was through some mission trips, through reading the Bible, and through just doing evangelism and outreach on our college campus. And through that, he really stirred up a heart in both of us for the lost and for taking the gospel to unreached people groups. And so as we were just learning about the areas of greatest need in the world, South Asia really stood out to us. And we also had a personal connection with South Asia because we had a lot of South Asian friends in college. I had a a Nepali roommate. And just as we were learning about lostness and the greatest need, we just felt God calling us to South Asia. And after a few years in seminary, began serving in South Asia. That's great. Tell us a little bit about maybe some of the focus and the nature of your work there. Yeah. So like Shani mentioned before, the focus of our work, our primary target is church planting, pioneering church planting work among unreached peoples and places. 
So that's really what we do. All of our teams that are working all throughout South Asia, that is the focus of what we do. We just believe that's the biblical pattern that we find of those who are called and sent out of local churches to join these kinds of teams in new contexts, to take the gospel where it's never been before. We are about pushing that biblical work forward through training national believers who are there, pioneering some of that work ourselves, but really trying to live out the biblical pattern that we follow of how Paul and the first followers of Jesus in obedience to the Great Commission with the fullness of the Holy Spirit went out and began taking the gospel, breaking new ground into new places, began fulfilling that promise of Acts 1-8 that the gospel would begin there in Jerusalem and go out to the ends of the earth. We still see that work going on today. So a lot of what we do like I said, coming alongside national believers who are there in South Asia, training them in that basic biblical pattern of church planting, uh, going out alongside of them and doing that kind of shoulder to shoulder in the midst of it. And ultimately, as we're working towards that, our desire is to see what we call local ownership of that missionary task, of that missionary work, which means I believe that as Paul, as his colleagues, the other first missionaries we read about in the New Testament, they got to the point in their work where the local churches they had planted were then joining them in the work. They were sending out laborers into the work. And so even in our organization as a whole, we talk about the six parts of the core missionary task. So entry, evangelism, discipleship, um, church formation, leadership, development, exit to partnership. And so each part of that, that we find each piece of that work in the biblical pattern, we're calling national believers to come alongside of us in that work and ultimately turning that work over to them to where they're fully owning that entire process themselves. So basically working from people being unreached to becoming missionaries, everything that we can do to work all along that scale and by the Holy Spirit's power, by his grace, by his word, to see that work not only happen, but to multiply throughout churches and throughout peoples and places in South Asia. So you talk about South Asia there, and that's obviously where you guys live and where you work, but maybe some of the folks who are listening to this podcast, maybe they're not so familiar with that particular part of the world. So can you tell us a little bit about the people, the culture, what makes that part of the world unique? This is a challenging question because I feel like you have to go and experience it for yourself. It's a bit difficult to describe, but... A few things I'll point out about South Asian culture. One of the things that's kind of in your face is that there are a lot of people. The population stats are completely overwhelming. For example, just one state in India, Uttar Pradesh or UP, has over 204 million people. So if that one state were a country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world by population. And that's just one state. Another quick example is that we have more Muslims in South Asia than any other part of the world, including the Mideast. The Muslims are the minority in South Asia, but still because of our huge numbers, we have more than other places. The population density, it's just a big factor of life in India. The city, uh, many of the urban centers have a lot of slums, a lot of high rises, and cities of three or four million people are considered small cities in India. But with that many people, the people are very communal, very hospitable, and very spiritual. It's a very spiritual culture. That's one thing that I love about South Asia. It is normal to talk about spiritual things. South Asians have a spiritual worldview. They believe in evil spirits, in an invisible world, in supernatural powers, in prayer, in fasting, things that it's very different from America. And so I really love that part about their culture. 
and it has the best food in the world. Hey, all right. Always, always good to hear about good food. (laughs) Okay. So you talk a little bit about the population numbers, maybe even some of the religions, but what can you say about the spiritual state of South Asia today? Yeah. So South Asia, and this is the realities behind a lot of our initial calling to South Asia is the reality of immense lostness. South Asia is still the greatest concentration of lostness on the planet, meaning that there are more unreached people groups and higher populations of those unreached people groups concentrated in one area than anywhere else in the world. So all the countries together that combine to form South Asia, it's a combined population of about 1.7 billion people. We're projected to be the first region of the world to cross 2 billion in population, happen sometime in the next decade or so. And by and large, the vast majority of those people are without a gospel witness. Now, that is still the case today. That's been the case for the past several generations, even though in several places there's maybe historical outposts of missionary work or Christian work, and even to see Christianity on the rise. That's the incredible thing about South Asia. Like some of the things that Shani was talking about, there's, it's just a land of contrasts. It's a land of extremes. And so in some cases, in some parts of South Asia, maybe even some parts of the city even that we live in, there's some pretty established Christian work going on. And yet at the same time, you can go and drive maybe an hour or two outside of the city and find villages where literally you will confront somebody who's never even heard the name Jesus before. And so that is the reality for still the vast majority of the population of South Asia is of those 1.7 billion people, it's estimated around 1.5% or less would be evangelical believers of some stripe. And so the vast majority, 90% plus, not only existing far from God, but even within that, another majority who has no access to the gospel. May be aware as well, listeners may be aware of just some of the changing climate in South Asia as well, particularly um, in India, the rise of different types of extremism, of Hindu extremism and political extremism, where the identity to be Hindu is tied now to this nationalistic identity of what it means to be Indian. And so along with that then comes official or at least winked at persecution of religious minorities for Muslims and for Christians. And so all those things have been on the rise. The persecution sort of monitoring organizations, they've been tracking the rise of persecution and pressure on Christians within India over the past three or four years. But then again, in the midst of that, again, to the extremes, we're seeing God do unprecedented things in South Asia. We have close to 2,000 unreached people groups in South Asia in the region all, all together. But what we're seeing is incredible progress among some of our unengaged unreached people groups. Some of those people groups that we've been going after that as far as we know, there's been no gospel witness since Christ left to go back to heaven. So for the past 2,000 years, those people have been without a gospel witness. And just in the work that we have been tracking in our organization, knowing and recognizing there's many other faithful organizations and workers at work in South Asia, but just in what we've been able to account for over the past three years, we've seen over 100 groups, 100 unengaged, unreached people groups, over 100,000 in population that for the first time have had an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can account for some baptized believers that are beginning to meet together among those groups. So we're seeing incredible progress in the midst of incredible challenges and difficulties as well, which when we read the New Testament, none of those things should be any surprise to us as we see those things happening together throughout the history of the church and the growth of the kingdom. 
that's simultaneously as you sh- as you talked and as you shared it's it's overwhelming mm-hmm. and it's it's encouraging and so i want to lean in a little bit on the encouraging side you talked about some of the progress some of the good things that are happening and you guys obviously have been serving living in this part of the world for the last 15 years when you look back on the last say 12 to 18 months maybe the last year or two maybe share one of the the biggest highlights that you've seen you know there there are people that are all around the world that are praying for you guys and, and praying for your work. Tell us a little bit more about what God's doing. I would love to share. It makes me so excited to just think about all the things that God is doing while we, we're we here in America right now, but the work is continuing so much in India and in South Asia. And so there are three women that I've been just walking alongside, South Asian sisters, who have been sharing the gospel and doing their best to reach their neighbors and just needed some encouragement and some help in how to to share the gospel, how to teach the Bible effectively and simply. And so I just got the opportunity to start going out with them regularly and helping them to share with their neighbors, helping them to pray and then gather people who want to learn more about Jesus in their homes. And so since the beginning of the year, all three of them started at least one in-home Bible study. Sometimes they have two of those or even three of those going every week. They live in the same neighborhood, kind of a lower income apartment complex in a city in South Asia. And so when the lockdown because of COVID started in March. They weren't able to go out and continue those groups in person, but some guys at our our local church were able to train them in how to use Zoom. And so these three women have been continuing to have these Bible studies through Zoom. So these are women living in, you know, like one room apartments barely literate, and they're leading these calls on Zoom with their cell phones. And one of them in particular is leading almost daily meetings every evening. She has people getting on these calls, often more than 50 people, sometimes up to 90 people getting on these calls where she's simply reading the Bible and discussing it together with them. We've taught them how to read the Bible and just ask some questions to discuss it together and apply it. So there are non-believers, there are Muslim women joining in her calls and many people learning more about Christ and trusting in Christ. And it is just so exciting to hear how God prepared them um, for the pandemic And we were able to train them in leading these meetings before it started. And now to see that work, not just continuing, but like really growing through the Zoom meetings. And that's one of the direct fruits we've seen of, I think, God just preparing the church, really the global church and definitely the South Asian church for the lockdown, for the pandemic. The lockdown was pretty severe in our city beginning from the end of March very close. We were basically, our kids were in our apartment for about two months in there. But as we look back at the year, these ladies that Shani's mentioning, they are a part of the local church that we attend and that we kind of help to lead while we're there in our city. And in the early part of the year in January, before anything about COVID had begun to come out, we had a church retreat. And at that retreat, we introduced this idea of small groups or missional communities where the church had been doing those previously, but 
our idea had been, and we, they felt a leading kind of of the Lord to say, okay, how can we use these to reach out to our community more? How can we use these to be discipling our people better, to point them towards the word of God so that people are going both deep in the word of God and broad by reaching out to their neighbors and inviting them into that study as well. And so we laid the groundwork for that in January at that church retreat, not knowing that really that, that approach would be forced upon us in March when everything was locked down. And again, praise God, just the hand, the providential hand of the Lord providing cheap data plans and cheap Chinese mobile phones to our people who live all throughout the slums. The majority of the people that come to that church with us do live in slums, but still able to meet and host these meetings even throughout the lockdown, just through the availability of that technology. So just an affirmation of where the Lord was leading us as a church, an affirmation again of how his gospel and his work is not bound by the pandemic, it's not bound by lockdown, and even to see gospel advance in the midst of a difficult situation for a lot of our people that are there in our city in South Asia. Amen. That, I mean, seems to me a pretty clear example of, you know, something that that Satan would have intended for evil, you know, a global pandemic that that shuts things down, that seemingly shuts the church down. We now have an example of of God turning around and using for good, leveraging technology and all those things, as you said, for the gospel to continue to push forward, for people to hear good news, for people to be discipled and studying God's word together. So thanks for sharing that example. I want to switch gears a little bit here and kind of move away from what we were talking about. We'll come back to, to South Asia in a moment. But you guys recently started a podcast together, really for, for other gospel workers. Uh, the podcast is called Coworkers. Tell us a little bit about the podcast and why you decided to start it. Well, it's the Coworkers podcast where every believer is a coworker in God's mission. And so in this podcast, we want to share two things. We want to share proven tools that we've been using in South Asia for many years, both with South Asians and with Western coworkers. We have a lot of what we think are really helpful tools for leadership, for teaching how to share the gospel, for teaching a pattern of missions from the New Testament, all kinds of different tools. So we wanted a way to share those with others. And we also wanted a way to platform fruitful workers that we've been working alongside for many years. We have so many coworkers that maybe I'm biased, but I believe they could be writing books, speaking in conferences, doing all kinds of things in America, but they're focused on their fields. They're focused on the loss of South Asia. And I just love the thought of being able to platform them and letting more people learn from them. That's great. I love it. And I've enjoyed listening to uh, the first several episodes you guys have put out. So thanks for doing that work. I want to switch back now to to South Asia a little bit. I think, you know, you guys have shared some some data, some statistics. In many ways, I said earlier that it's it's kind of overwhelming. We know that South Asia is not an easy place to live and, and work. There's lots of challenges, lots of obstacles to the mission. But if you had to narrow it down to one, what would you say is your single biggest challenge in your work? Yeah, that's a, man, that's a difficult question. We get asked that quite a bit. And even to narrow it down to one, I think is kind of tough. I think what we, what we deal with most that is the, the greatest challenge is just the heaviness of the burden of the lostness around us. When we're there in South Asia, it's just, it's all around, obviously is a big part of our calling to go there in the first place. And I think really to maybe be even more precise it's the difference between what we would hope to see and what's the current reality. 
just the gap that's there between what we take to be God's expressed intent in scripture that he desires for all the nations to worship him. We have this calling, I think like Paul did, to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all nations and to see and to live where we are and to see how far there is to go. And so I think just working through that reality on a a day-by-day basis, desiring both to see people really thrive in their walk with the Lord, to see spiritual depth and maturity among churches and leaders, but also to continually reach out and see the millions and really over a billion people reached with the gospel where we are. That's just a constant tension, I think, that we live in that, again, I think is somewhat biblical. Paul spoke of his constant anxiety, his daily anxiety for all the churches, that there's both an anxiety for the churches that we're a part of, that we've seen planted, that we're investing in, and then also uh, an anguish for the state of the lost around us, like a Romans 9 type unceasing anguish. And so just living in the midst of that, I think, can be tiring, can be exhausting, can be discouraging at times. And so that is, I would say, the, the biggest challenge we face. In the midst of that, all kinds of different particularities of that, the practicalities of living that out day to day, just knowing that this is the first time that I've been coaching my kids' soccer league while we've been in the States, and we're coaching a rec league, right? And so in rec league, on your teams, you play with who you've got, right? It's not like the competitive league or whatever, when you kind of keep a team together, you're able to recruit, you just play with who you've got. And so in the midst of those tensions, in the midst of the great gap between what we want to see and where we are, we're also facing, hey, we just play with who we've got around us. Ultimately, we trust the Lord with that. We praise God that he doesn't recruit the same way that we do, that he delights to use those that the world despises. And so we know that is our great hope that even though we may think, man, we need more resources, we need more solid people, God's not bothered by that. He can take shepherds and fishermen and turn them into world changers. So we're seeing that reality come out in the midst of those difficulties as well. That's encouraging. Earlier, you both mentioned something about your local church there, where you live. And so I would just be curious to know, what are the local brothers and sisters there? What are some of the things that they are teaching you guys? The three ladies that I shared about are teaching me a lot about fasting and prayer. When I go out with them and when I hang out with them, I often kind of laugh to myself that I'm the one who's supposed to be mentoring them because I feel like they challenge me so much. For example, I'll go hang out with them and they will just mention in passing, oh yeah, we're fasting. There's a family down the hall who we have been sharing with. So we decided to fast for three days to pray for them things like that, that they do regularly. They pray so much longer. They're willing to just pray for longer periods of time than I feel like normal American meetings include. And so, and you can see God working through it. You see the fruit of their fasting and praying. And I think that example of they're just doing the work that God has for them day after day, They don't have a big audience. There's not many people in the world who knows what they're doing or is applauding them. But there's so many people all around the world like that, that they're not being platformed on podcasts. They're not writing books, but they're doing the work and God's using them in amazing ways right where he has them. Amen. Just just ordinary disciples who are being faithful to the Lord, trusting him, living their lives for him every day. I love love hearing that. Thanks for sharing that, Shaney. Uh, This is a question I ask everyone that I interview, and so one of you can answer it or both of you can answer it however you like, but here's the question. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, what keeps you there in that place, 
And why are you giving your life to this work? Two answers, God and lostness. So Jesse and I are very thankful. We felt a clear, undeniable call from God upon our lives to move overseas as missionaries. And that calling has been strengthened and confirmed over the years just through doing the work and through our abiding relationships with Jesus, just meeting with Jesus every day, walking with Him. He is continuously strengthening that call. And I'm really thankful that God has made that very clear to us and that has just stayed with us. Kind of intertwined with that calling from God is also a burden for the lost in South Asia. And that also keeps us there. In some ways, if we were ever to think about, you know, or if our kids, like they do on occasion, might ask us how much longer we would be in South Asia, we can think to ourselves, like, why would we leave? Leaving doesn't make sense when we look at the need still in South Asia. And so I don't say that to insinuate we would never leave. We will leave someday, but the reality of lostness is a really important part of why we are there and why we sacrifice and ask our children and families to sacrifice. Seeing people come to know the Lord, seeing God work through our national brothers and sisters really, really helps, really just makes it feel so worth it. And so God, Him continuously confirming His calling upon our lives and just the reality of lostness, both of those things keep us there. Yeah. And I think it's, Summed up well, I think I mentioned it earlier, but the way that Paul spoke about his own calling in Romans 1, that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all nations. And really that encapsulates all that Shaney's talking about there, just the reality of God, his worship, the obedience of the faith, which I think is Paul's shorthand way of saying everything that we have received in Christ, all the riches that we have in Christ, all the expectations also that we have in Christ, the stewardships and responsibilities to see that spring up among all the peoples of the world for the sake of his name as they give him glory. Just all those things tied together over the years. I think that we've talked about this several times as we have mentored and counseled others who are looking at going overseas. I think that our calling, our sense of calling and our sense of being right there in the middle of those, those different factors of God and lostness and our desire to bring about the obedience of the faith, all those things have just strengthened in our time on the field. As we've seen the reality of this life, as we feel like a lot of times we're living closer and closer to the way the first followers of, of Christ did in the New Testament, and to just be incredibly grateful to experience God at work among those nations, among those peoples, many of whom have never had a, an opportunity. Man, when you see that, there's just nothing like it. We feel like we're living our best life now, and uh, we love it. We love doing what we do. Earlier, you mentioned prayer, and I think prayer is one of the most neglected but essential means for for mission. And so my question for you would be, what is your constant prayer for the people in South Asia? So for a long time, we have prayed this with our team members, with our national partners. We have prayed that God would move like never before in South Asia, and especially in our urban centers. And ultimately that that movement would result in India, South Asia, becoming the greatest missionary sending center in the history of the world. We believe that God's desire is nothing less that the obedience of the faith among the believers of South Asia, the churches of South Asia means nothing less than that, that they would just become the greatest missionary force that the world has ever seen. 
and that as we continue pursuing as the body of Christ on earth, his charge, his commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that ultimately it would be, it would be South Asians who are a big part of fulfilling that, a big part of taking the gospel to the very end. You know, as you know, South Asians, they are all over the world, huge migrant communities in different countries all throughout the world. South Asians tend to be very successful in the places that they go as business people or professionals, whatever it is, and so have certain reputations in the different places they go. But we've been praying for a long time that they would begin to have that Acts 17 type reputation, that when they show up, people would say, well, here's, here are those people who have turned the world upside down. They've come here also. So we long to see that day uh, when South Asian missionaries would just be all over the world, that they would be carrying that banner for Christ and fulfilling that sense of apostleship and grace that we have as well. Amen. May the Lord do that work indeed. Last question, uh, Jesse and Shaney. What is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? I think I would love to remind your listeners, Paul, that God wants to use every single believer in amazing ways to advance his kingdom. So we are missionaries. We feel like we have a call to be set apart, to be sent out, to go to the nations where the gospel isn't. Not everyone has that calling. And so for the listeners, if you feel like God is calling you, then you need to obey and you need to go. But if not, then I pray that your faith would be increased, that God wants to use you right where you are, and that you would not minimize or overlook what might seem like small opportunities or responsibilities that God gives you, and that you would daily just be striving and praying to open your mouth and talk about Jesus. And so I will just share maybe a little confession, Paul, that I've been a missionary for more, for more than 15 years, and I still struggle to share the gospel as boldly as I would like to. But as I read the New Testament, the Christian life is not intended to be lived privately. And we, the, the normal Christian life that we see in the Bible includes following Jesus includes being a fisher of men right? We're all to be ambassadors for Christ. And so that is just something right now that we as a family are talking through, praying through, even with our kids. We talk with our kids about it. We want to be the friendliest people everywhere we go, and we want to be ready. And sometimes we don't even know what to say, but we can always do our best to talk about Jesus, to thank people for their service and tell them we're praying for them, and to just do our best to show the world and to show Jesus unashamed love for Christ. Like I think of Mary, her example, she was sitting at Jesus's feet and Martha criticized her. And then later, Mary was anointing Jesus's feet with costly perfume, and one of the disciples criticized her. But Mary loved Jesus so much, she didn't care about other people's criticism. So that is the lesson that God is teaching us right now, is to have unashamed love for Jesus and to just believe He wants to use every believer in everyday situations to advance His kingdom. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Jesse and Shaney today. Please pray for them as the Lord brings them to your mind. Pray for them, for their three kids, for the work that they're doing in South Asia. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. 
Thanks again for listening to Amazon to the Himalayas. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.